Welcome to my so-called sustainable life, a podcast where we compare our personal sustainability lives with our professional one. We share candid conversations, interview guests, and get real about the realities of working in sustainability while also working towards a more just future, all in the name of mitigating our climate anxiety. Sustainable Concordia would like to acknowledge that my so-called sustainable life is recorded on the unceded territory of the Ganyangehaga and the Haudenosaunee in Jojage. We are committed to listening to and collaborating with the original stewards of this land. Go to nativeland.ca to find out more about the territories we are on as Turtle Island inhabitants. We'd also like to acknowledge that the physical space we work out of is currently inaccessible and that we are committed to making our programming accessible for everyone in spite of this. Welcome to my so-called sustainable life. My name is Paige and I'm the external coordinator for Sustainable Concordia. And they said, start a podcast. And I said, okay. And with me today is our co-host and newest co-worker, Maria. Hello, hello. <laughs> um, so this is Maria Mariano. Should I read your bio? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Maria is a Filipinx first generation immigrant currently living on unceded territory of the Ganyan and creating at the intersections of design, science, and art. Their singular passion is finding ways to replicate nature's feedback cycles in artificial systems of production. In the past eight years, they have been passionate about shifting the extractive and unethical industrial production model by imagining and experimenting with new ways to make things. Maria often begins by thinking about our biggest resource, waste and uses it to create meaningful objects that will eventually reintegrate back into our earth. Nothing animates Maria so much as finding creative ways to end overproduction and stop waste. Welcome! Thank you, thank you, Paige. How are you doing? Wow. Um, what's the like stupidest sustainability mistake you've made this week? It's only Tuesday, but like, <laughs> what, what's like the oh, dumbest thing you've done since like Sunday that you were like, Ugh. Oh, um, I sent mail today and put it uh, in one of those like plastic bubble wrap things. Cause I didn't want <laughs> to get squished. Um, I went to the post office the other day and I was like, Oh, I want to mail this like small baby fat dress. And then I realized that it wasn't like the 2000s so nobody would know like Aww. what exactly I was talking about. But you know the jean dresses? Absolutely. With the little, yeah. The, the little, little like spaghetti string. Yes. With like the yeah. And the, yeah, and the embroidery of like baby fat. Yeah. She didn't know what I was talking about. <laughs> but it fit in a mailer bag. So I guess we'll talk more about sizing and um, fashion as we like continue into this Packaging. conversation but we're going to talk about garment workers because they're supposed to be at the center of the conversation are you a garment worker am I a garment worker uh no I'm someone that has learned how to make clothes by taking them apart and I have made clothes but not in the weight and size of an actual garment worker that I think about um, who relies on their basic survival needs on this type of job. Mm -hmm. So we've already failed because <laughs> <laughs> one of the speakers, uh, one of the people on the podcast that we're talking about today that 
garment workers have to be at the center of this fast fashion conversation um, for it to be effective. Mm -hmm. So we've already failed, but we can work on that. <laughs> That's the goal. Yeah, exactly. Um, we're like in a, in a we're, we're, we're a work in progress. I told you the story about how I'm mailing a baby fat dress to my cousin because somebody just gave it to me and they were like, oh, your cousin wants this, right? And I was like, I guess. And so I've accumulated this piece of clothes and I wish, and I wish it was the only piece of clothing that I had accumulated. And I wish that I could, I had, I wish that I had like 40 cousins that I could just mail by individual <laughs> pieces of fast fashion clothing that I have because it's a real problem. It's become a big issue. Okay. Every, I used to do, I used to have a good system where I would get like mail jeans from like Value Village that were for men because they have a better denim. Trixie. That's my dog. Trixie He's an integral part of SC, but he's kind of a loud mouth. Yeah, so when I was in university, I used, I used to like get male jeans or jeans from like the men's section of Value Village because they have the good denim, you know, that's like, because men, for some reason, they could have pants for like 30 years. Mm. It's the same pair of pants. Um, yeah, so I would do that. I would get them taken in and that was like sort of cheaper because you could get the jeans for $5 and then go get them altered. But then in the summer, I would just cut those shorts because I learned like a good like pants to shorts DIY hack and so then I'd have to like do it a, a over again every every like winter when it gets cold I'd be like okay time to buy pants again so this was like the first summer where I had to like basically overhaul my wardrobe but I still have all my old wardrobe stuff because mm -hmm. I'm trying to give it away so I guess my question for you is, and that's something I've been thinking about too, is when did you start thinking about, you know, your relationship to clothing? And Oh, first, like, since as long as like, remember, it's like, you almost have to have a relationship to clothing because you want to make sure that your parents not getting you things that like, isn't nice, especially if you're like a plus size or like mm -hmm. as a kid, like you're having to shop in like older sections of the store right, or whatever. right um but I was like very into fashion and like I, I think I would get it from cartoons like Winx Club is one like all the like transformation like anime shows where they're like normal by day and then they transform into like cats or something like that was like that like fashion icons Winx Club totally spies like totally spies 100 <laughs> percent I think when I was a kid, my main icons for like dressing myself were like detectives. I don't know if you remember like Harriet the Spy. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. Uh, do you see the jacket over there? The yellow one? The yellow. Yes. I, I wore it the other day to go to Meredith's house. My, my BFF Meredith and my other BFF Nash, because they're a couple, was like, oh, you look like gay Harriet the Spy. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. But you know what? That jacket, Forever 21. Uh, well, okay. So I don't think, I don't know. I I have a thing about like bashing fast, fashion clothing. It's, it's a bit of a complicated relationship for me because I'm like, I don't like to say, oh, this is made from fast fashion because then it, it discredits the garment workers who have made this stuff, you mm -hmm. know? So I, I think it's important that we do acknowledge it, but I, 
yeah, I'm trying to, to, to step away from that and maybe just change. Like, so as we think about our relationships to clothing, I think part of that conversation, including the, the garment workers, is also how us as um, stakeholders and people wearing clothing and in fact consuming it, like, what is our actual relationship to it? You know, like I started my relationship with clothing because I needed a way to express how I, I was feeling, you know, whether it's simply in like, I want to feel more free in my body to play. And also even when I was younger to like express my gender. So I think that's kind of always how I want to think about a relationship with clothing. Cause from these past years, it's just significantly changed. You know, it was like, I remember in my stages with um, how I was relating to clothes is that in university, I was like, not, not that I'm making any more money now, but like back then I was like stressed out, trying to like, you know, get good grades, but still trying to continue to like preserve my like creativity through clothing. So of course I would shop at Forever 21, H&M and Urban Outfitters. And I would just go there and like get, get my fix. And I feel like it's just kind of that culture that just has been perpetuating and sometimes I'm like and there are micro trends too right yes. so you're like oh yeah if I get this this new skirt and I do want to talk more about like gender and like that like really how that relates to fashion too but like you're always thinking like if I get this new skirt it'll go with this top that I have then I'll have this cute look I'll put it on Instagram and like what's the you know, like, what are the chances of that actually happening, right? And then you just have all this cute clothes that you're never going to wear, but, like, the look is in your head, you know? Yeah, yeah. 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 So the consumption is, like, ramped up even more because there's so many little micro trends of, like, get the skirt, or now now we're into bubble sleeves, or, like, now we're into looking like a box, which is my favorite trend. I love a good, like, jacket that has, like, maybe peacoat buttons or like whatever with a lapel and it's just like you look like a box it's like a, a jacket <laughs> with little feet like that's my favorite kind of <laughs> it's my favorite kind of jacket <sighs> a box of little feet yeah yeah it's my favorite look I agree yeah so I think like that's something if we do think about fast fashion sometimes I feel like there is a lot of like negative connotation on like the, the clothing and then the people who, who make them. And we're just like, Oh, this stuff is made cheaply. I'm like, you know, it's just made it's true. It's just not true. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's not made to, you know, the same standards as a luxury or like a design piece of clothing would be, but it doesn't mean that we, we can just like continue the culture of throwing it away and not repairing it. Yeah. You know, especially if you're like continuing to feed that consumption that you're saying with like these micro trends and things like that. And I think that's why I, I, I really love thinking about fashion in a way that's like very personal and it feels like very activating when you think about it that way. And it's like a direct way for you to feel empowered on how to take action in this like terrible system that's not only disenfranchising the people that are like making our clothes uh, consuming the clothes, but also from the planet that it's extracting all of our resources from. The fact that you just like said that so succinctly is wild to me, but also like, what, what did I expect? But yeah, like for me, I feel like 
there's violence in every stitch like even if and i think like the clothes are well made like especially like forever 21 i've i've had some jeans where i was like man i wish like this pair of jeans could last me forever and like sometimes like if you want a specific cut for your body and like yeah so like definitely had some clothes from forever 21 where i'm like I wish this could last forever or like talk to people who who like have had clothes that they've owned since they were in the seventh grade and I'm like how do you even like still fit into that like how does how did you like transport that with you like all these things and I feel like my conclusion is like I have to just start designing the clothes that I want and I've been just like screenshotting, like every time I see like a fast fashion Instagram ad, because I'm so susceptible to it too. I feel like it's also an anxiety thing, right? It's like, uh, it's almost like that feeling that people with trichotillomania will describe like when you pluck like a hair out, mm. this like relief of like, of like spending money or like getting a thing it's like I've definitely compared yeah. it to like the thrill of the hunt of like getting a good deal yes 100 percent. Yeah. yeah yeah but as I was shopping online the last time I shopped online I was literally watching the documentary that I'm gonna talk to you about in like mm. the second part of this podcast and I was like scrolling through being like okay I need to get pants for winter and then I was like oh my god like so desensitized to like fast fashion that I was like watching the documentary and like seeing that like these kids basically these kids go to like a sweatshop and I was like seeing it happen and I was like okay but I still have to be thinking about winter's coming and it's getting cold and I need to take Trixie on three walks a day and I don't have any pants right so yeah that's when I was like okay exit <laughs> I clicked out of Old Navy <laughs> and I just had to like take a minute <laughs> Because like that's truly how like desensitized, and I didn't think I was that desensitized. Like I I know like a lot of facts about like fast fashion and fashion itself, and yeah, and also I think it's like we have so much to worry about, and it just gets so overwhelming. It's like we need to think about the energy we consume, the food we eat, the clothing, and on top of that, the clothes that we wear play so, so many different emotional like triggers so it's like it's overwhelming it's really overwhelming and even for me as someone who's been thinking about sustainability and fashion and how I can live a more sustainable life in general like I I don't know what to do sometimes like sometimes I'm just like you know what I can I really want a new piece because I want to feel good you know and like I'll go and shop at like an you know urban outfitters and it's Mm -hmm. just like you know, there's, there's no perfect solution. And I think like, it's just a lot of pressure for us to put on ourselves. And I think the point of all of this, is I don't ever want to think of it as like boycotting fashion and like making new clothing. I think it's just, we have to rethink on how we make these things and how we consume them. It's not about stopping. It's just about slowing down, you know, because mm-hmm. so many livelihoods depend on this um, kind of work and also the creativity behind it. Yeah. And you also have said like, because we are coworkers, so we talk outside of work. So <laughs> fill in all these things. But um, you've also said that there are different seasons now, like mm. 
there used to be just like, you know, spring, summer, fall, winter. And like winter, you get your coats, fall, you get your flannel, spring, you get your florals, groundbreaking. And summer, you get your like cut off shorts with like the like distressed, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm talking about? You know? So it was like very easy to figure out like, okay, I need shorts for summer. And now like, it's almost like companies are taking advantage of climate change and like the, I mean, they are, but like, <laughs> but like the fact that the weather is weird. So now there's like pre-fall, pre-winter, winter, True. like there's just so many seasons to dress for. That and yeah. also because like, you know, social media and like selling a lifestyle, like fashion has always been kind of like that. Like what kind of lifestyle do you fit in? What kind of community do you feel like you belong to? And there's always a look to every community, every lifestyle. And now it's like, you know, celebrities like the Kardashians that are able to afford to go to like a resort, you know? So now there's like resort wear and there's pre-fall and like all these activities that like no actual human being that lives like a regular life is actually doing these things so you just like buy into a sort of lifestyle right yeah and it's I, th- I think your your point about like these companies also profiting from like the climate change I think it's it's both yeah there's gonna be pauses for, for thought. <laughs> and um, there was, I forget who said it. I think it was Celine Simon. Um, so I've been- Who is that? Yeah, so it's one of the co-founders of Slow Factory. And that's one of uh, the platforms that I've joined maybe a couple of years ago where I have really enjoyed the discussion that um, they have around fashion where it's really centered on not just talks about season cuts or shapes, but about like, you know, the culture behind fashion and like really injecting this idea of like sustainability as a culture and you can't buy sustainability. And something um, that really resonated with me is that like fashion brands are, is like a religion for people. Yeah. True religion. (laughs) Aeropostle. Remember? Oh God. I never, that's another thing too. I never like bought into brands as like, mm. like when people were wearing Aeropostale and Abercrombie. Yeah. I mean, like, good for you if you can afford, good for you if you can afford that. And like, I'm not trying to like judge or be like, oh, I'm not like other girls or whatever. Um, I've always appreciated a clean look. Like I like uh, clean lines, bold colors, color blocking almost. Yeah. Yeah. So it's never like, but I like the idea of like, oh, you get a coat. Like I remember having Parasuco pants oh, as, yeah. a, as a tween and I loved them so much. I love them, but they didn't like, they stopped after a while, like they stopped fitting me correctly or like, you know, like, cause they were like cropped um, light wash jeans mm. that were like low waisted, but, or actually mid rise, I guess. Um, and like the little like appliques to make it look kind of bohemian, but the cropped part of it, I didn't like where it fit. So I would like roll it up and then like hot glue like, <laughs> the, the thing. And uh, then I didn't like understand why there was this weird like blob on my pants. And I was like, oh, it's because I was like rolling them up and hot gluing them. Anyway. And then also in, I just want to 
I just want to fit this in here. In the eighth grade, I made a skirt and I wore it to my first day of school. <laughs> I want to get back to that, but it was hand sewn. Like that's the other thing is I cannot figure out how to use a sewing machine, but if I could, I'd be unstoppable. I have so many like fashion well, in my head. I think it's so cool to hear and now that I, I, I guess I know more your relationship to clothing and it sounds so like liberating and creative and also just showcases the freaking sizing problem in the fashion industry is one of the big things that no one discusses you know that yes. and so there's like so many different kinds of people that consume fashion yes. you know what I mean like but fashion as an industry is about being a singular, like unattainable, exactly. sort of like, you know, apex predator. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's just changed so much. And I think like, for me, when I, when I look at it, it really, there was a big shift in it. And like fast fashion came about um, when we started to outsource all of our manufacturing, you know, yes. and then like we started to consume clothes faster and then our relationship to it, at least for the most part, people for, forgot, like fashion has always been a revolution, you know, like if you think about Coco Chanel, like one of the pioneers of like creating pants for women, right. you know, so I always forget about that because of the fact that she's a Nazi sympathizer, yeah. but love your lipstick girl. <laughs> Oh God. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, cause I'm just like, when, when we think about like fast consumers, we're like, oh, all these people that like, can't, you know, afford this and just want like a quick fix. But then there's also these people that are like, you know, hype beasts who are also perpetuating this similar culture. And I think there has to, you know, we can't just like say one is problematic than the other. We all have to like first and foremost, understand what our relationship to clothing is. And, you know, hearing your story, it sounds like you've had a relationship with clothing out of creativity and necessity because the, the fashion industry wasn't like giving you the options that you needed. And I feel like it's very, you know, it's not, a, it's not something that a lot of people have, you know, the privilege to do, but for the most people who are consuming at such a fast rate, it's like, just take a second and understand why you're buying this. Do you really need it? What's going to happen after like two months when you're done with it? Do you have a plan on how to dispose of it? Do you know where it's going to go? You know, it just takes two seconds, but it's like we live in such a world where it's like we don't have two seconds to think that we just need to buy and solve our feelings right now. Mm -hmm. It's... um. And it did solve my feelings. I had <laughs> like so does. much anxiety and I was trying to do like, I was trying alternative ways of consumption. Like, cause I know, and you have talked about like how much actual energy we've put into like fashion, like just on the side of like for our own selves. And then if you think about it for like thinking about like the globalization of the fashion industry mm -hmm. and like, if you have to think about that, it's like throwing your brain even farther but let me let me let me explain to you my theory of my fast fashion theory um as it relates to sizing because mm -hmm. so there was like a time and I guess like this also has to do with like 
me getting bigger. Like, I don't know what happened. Like I turned 25 and now my hips are like, whoosh, like they're just, they're just there, like, you know? And so I used to buy at Forever 21 and try to get like their most plain stuff. And people would always be like, like I had my old roommate was like, oh, you would totally buy the shirt that says like taco on it or whatever. Like, you know, the famous, like, you know, you think a shirt's cute. And then on the front, it says taco. And you're like, I just want a mustard sweater. Like, you know, <laughs> I know. <laughs> ah! So yeah, like I like, a, I like like a little pattern, but I'm not like busy Phillips level pattern where like, she really has taken her name to heart and she'll wear like 50 pa- and I'm like uh, yes like I appreciate that aesthetically but it's also not for me anyways point is I used to be able to shop in person at a store get two or three things for the season and then be done as we've like moved online and as we've done like fast as fast fashion has like gotten more globalized and like there's these companies that are that have what I guess is called Asian sizing oh geez because it's like smaller yeah and like it's like petite sort of supposed to like be emblematic of this like kawaii like I don't even know (laughs) but yeah so these like Asian sizing like companies will like come in with like their smaller sizes the point of the sizing is that they're smaller sizes so when you're in America you have to size up by like two sizes or whatever right so in 2014 it was like Fashion Nova and then like now the big ones Shein and before that it was and also like somewhere between that that time like 2014 and now Forever 21 pulled out of Canada and now they're back because they will ship like they will ship to you from the states and they have they're using like the pandemic as like free shipping or like that kind of thing wait I thought they went out of business they went out of business in Canada and yeah and which sucked because I would go there regularly like in between classes to find like pants that I could wear like they always had like the five dollar rack and and then annoyingly and I think this is like a thing about fast fashion where it's like they'll never be your friends it's like it was going out of business they were gonna have to burn all these clothes or whatever and they just didn't (laughs) like sell them they didn't sell them for like two dollars like you know even when a store is going out of business like the plus size people always have to pay 46 dollars for a pair of jeans like yeah so yeah anyway my theory is that I mean we've always known that vanity sizing is a thing which is like saying that you're a size two but it's really the measurements of a size four big air quotes around all these things obviously yeah so vanity sizing has gotten even worse and now I feel like the sizing it with American clothing clothing is like shifting down faster or it's like happening at like a higher interval so like in I've always been sort of in between sizes between like an 18, 16 to 18. And then now like I'm like 20 to 20, 18 to 20, but like I've always been in between sizes and I've had to size up because my hip to brace ratio is so chaotic. So colossal. Well, we'll it's normal. In- <laughs> we'll include it in our uh, gallery shoots <laughs> for, the, for the people at all. But yeah, so I've always sort of been in between sizes, but then also now I feel like sizes are getting smaller because like, because of the influence of like Asian sizing on American brands and like 
being able to like the easier that your like garment can be replicated for fast fashion like the more like it almost helps mm-hmm. I, like I get that this guy is like ripping off designs and stuff that founder of Shein and but like it almost helps because it's like more accessible people will like want your trend more I don't know that last part is not super baked you know so gotta think about it but definitely this idea that like sizes are getting smaller and that the influence of like Asian sizing companies is like a lot (laughs) and I can tell because I feel like I haven't like my measurements haven't changed but like I've had to size up more and like also has to do with like material that's used and stuff Mm -hmm. so yeah there's so many variables (sighs) yeah so many (sighs) and you know I think like back in the day I I was also wondering about sizing and like European sizes are like so it sounds like it's a similar narrative like first of all what is really sizing anyways (laughs) yeah yeah because everybody like every type of body is different and the thing is is that like you were saying earlier that fashion does try to like streamline this one type of human and it's really because, you know, for profit to try and get more profit, use less stuff and like make more things. Mm-hmm. But that is the, like, that's the biggest problem with fashion is that like, we don't have enough options. Yeah. That, like, that's really it. It's like, okay, great. Like I can get this, uh, like it is more efficient because, you know, like we have these styles, but with lesser amount of sizing, but it's like, so what do I have to choose? Like, clothes that fit me that are like, you know, not made well, but I can afford or clothes that don't fit me. And it's like, it's just, we don't have options. Yeah, we don't. And it's sad. And so to bring it back to me, because I'm a Leo, (laughs) (laughs) like, what can I do? And if I extension everyone else, like, how can I bridge the gap between like companies slowly getting into sustainability, which I was talking to my dad about this and he was like, sustainable fashion, that's almost an oxymoron. And I was like, oh boy, listen to the podcast. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so like where, how can I bridge the gap between like wanting to be stylish now? That's the thing. I want to be stylish now. Not like in a few years when people decide that people with fat bodies are allowed to like have style or when I like go on my like fitness journey and like do a transformation or something toxic like that. Like- (laughs) not like I want to look good now and I don't feel like I have to lose weight for that to happen like especially the argument too is like it's more fabric so it costs more money that's ridiculous and it and like I get that shopping in bulk in this sense I guess is like not super sustainable but like if you are buying fabric by the yard like isn't buying in bulk cheaper yeah so how to bridge it from, I mean, first of all, I think you're already on your way thinking about this kind of stuff and not just like buying something that is cheap, that quote unquote fits your body and is something that you like. I think it is, you know, we have every right to feel good in our clothes, to experience joy in what we wear and not feel like guilty for buying something that's made through like a sweatshop 
And the way I see it is that like, there needs to be more of like a decentralization of how clothes are made. And I think, you know, for someone like you who wants to learn how to sew, I think those kinds of things should be made more accessible or like we should have more groups for people who are thinking about this that can just like show different ways to sew. Like that's how I got into upcycling and sustainable fashion because I was like, I just wanted more options for my styles. You know, back in university, I couldn't afford to, you know, keep going to these fast fashions even. So I like started to go to thrift stores and like wanted it to fit my body. It really adds up, eh? It really does. Like you think, okay, this garment is $5 and I'm going to get like three of them. And then like you do that for everything because you have like parts of your body that you need to dress. Yeah. That adds up for sure. For sure. Like you think, oh yeah, I'm going to, or like you see those ads on Facebook that are like, I'm going to buy like $750 worth of Shein clothes. Like that is so much. That's my entire wardrobe for like your whole life. And it's just like also this like negative feedback cycle of emotions where it's like, oh, great. I've spent all this money on these clothes that I like. And then it's like, there's also this added pressure that you can't wear the same thing that you've posted on your like social media device. So it's like, I feel like that's why I'm like, I'm a cartoon character. I wear the same thing. Nobody talked to me. (laughs) And honestly, like normalize wearing things more than once. Like that's like, it's actually even... I think it's even more like creative to find ways that like to find uh, new ways to wear your clothing, you Mm -hmm. know, like, yeah. So I guess just going back to how to bridge it. I mean, that's such a big question. It's like, how do we become more sustainable human beings? I honestly think what you're doing is like, is such a huge step forward. And first and foremost, thinking about thinking about how, you want to like participate in the fashion system, you know, like you are clear that you want clothes that like fit you and make you feel good and you're open to learning. And I think it just like, there, there has to also be the meeting of like designers and companies to provide these things for you, you know? Mm -hmm. And like in your particular situation, I, I feel like you could even just hit up like a designer whose clothes that you like and be like, hey, you know, we want, let's kick it back old school style where people back then actually had a relationship with their designers and like right. tailored their clothing, which yes. Yes, could- I, I want a costumer. Hello. <laughs> I, I want a costumer. Like we all can just have one, you know? Yeah. But yeah, that's, that's, that's one way. There's some people that I'm, I'm always like, well, you know, when we think about circular economy and all this kind of stuff, um, in the fashion industry can just be as simple as like uh, exchanging clothes with with your friends you know like that's one way to get closer to quote unquote closing the gap mm-hmm. you know I do end up all the clothes that doesn't fit me I'm like Meredith <laughs> <laughs> here you go <laughs> here's this shirt of TLC like Sick. and now we have matching TLC. that's how Meredith and I have a matching everything is like I just order the wrong size of everything. And then I'm like, well, (laughs) I think I want to start like the journey and hopefully in like the next few episodes, we can like come back to it of like meeting with the designer locally in Montreal and like showing them all the, all of the screenshots of like all the clothes that I want and sort of seeing if we can like, because I also want like a particular shape 
Mm-hmm. Um, of course. That like that they just don't make. Like I basically want to look like Kim Possible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want to try and like get like find a designer or like design some stuff and see if like you know try and find an economical way of doing that. Yeah, and I think even just you know obviously learning how to sew, make a pattern, and create a garment like can feel overwhelming, but just even learning how to like fix the clothes that you have now is like a really great first step to like, you know, having a more sustainable, I guess, fashion life. Mm -hmm. Um, Because that that is part of the big conversation too. It's like, we also have to uh, foster this kind of like culture of like preserving our, the clothes that we like now. Yeah. And I think, I mean, a lot of us don't know how to like do a simple stitch, which honestly, it's like, that should be like a basic knowledge, you know, like, yeah, I know how to do that. Okay. So yeah, I can, I can sew and I understand patterns. I just don't know how to use the machine. And like the thing too, about like preserving the clothes that we already have is that like, they already have to be, they already have to be like worth preserving almost like, the idea is that you get something I mean the idea this isn't how it works for everyone is that you get something and it costs a little bit more but you can enjoy it for longer Mm because you're not like fiddling with it it's not breaking all the time whatever right um and I don't think that's how we work now I think we're very much like oh it's broken I'll just buy another one and like I'll just have 15 in case like I keep breaking them yeah yeah so I want to try and get like a designer I mean, honestly, from the sounds of it, it sounds like you can even start your own brand. I mean, a lot of designers these days, they actually like, you know, they work closely with a seamstress. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Seamstress applications come through. Oh, yeah. Because I feel like I'm so specific about the clothes that I want. And I'm ambitious about my own like ability abilities, I think, because I always have feelings of like, oh, I want to I want to I'll get this and I'll like hem it or get it taken in or whatever I can do it myself and then I just like it's overwhelming because I just buy in such a sheer volume (laughs) (laughs) so cool I'm excited to talk more about like our personal journeys in fast fashion and do you have a goal for fast fashion or divesting from it or like your own personal style fashion journey yeah, I think so. You know, I've been thinking a lot about this for so long, and I felt that my the best way to participate in it for the longest time has been to like make a brand, try to do that in three different iterations. The first one was like a collective, we were upcycling clothing about eight years ago, but people were like, Wait, what's upcycling? Mm. <laughs> and like, what do you mean there's only one like this item only exists one time like you can't reproduce it so I think that was I guess like a an interesting reflection for me then to see okay so how can I then participate more in creating um my my vision towards like a more sustainable fashion industry and then it's just tough because it's hard to find a perfect solution you know like it's, it's a lot of pressure because I've spent so much time um, just thinking about this stuff. And it's such a big, complex industry that I'm like, 
I get overwhelmed. So I think right now when it comes to like what impact I can do within the uh, fashion industry, I just really want to talk. I want to talk about it. I want to bring awareness and and just to be to be completely honest that like, you know, my most recent project that I've been trying to do for the past two years, working with a chemist, because we forget that like fashion actually sits. At- and this project, sorry, you're doing, you're like making, what is it? Yeah. So um, it was about two, two years ago. I have a, a collabor- collaborator who has been a sustainable designer for the past 10 years. And we are working alongside a chemist to transform expired milk into textile. I mean, cool and exciting. <laughs> but milk. Oh. Yeah, I already don't like milk, so it was it was. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But uh, I like the idea of the expired milk being used for something else. Yeah, I mean, we first actually the story behind that is that we first were thinking about using like fruits and veggies, and then we brought up the idea to our chemist, who actually brought to our attention that like North America is. And the dairy industry cool. is just wasting so much milk, milk, like, water. All the cows have mastitis. It's 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 disheartening. Ugh. Honestly, I'm like, yeah. wow. So you know, we sat down and talked about it, and um, we've been doing a few preliminary tests, and we've gone to the part where we've uh, been able to extract uh, this protein from milk called casein to make a fiber. Right, casein. Okay. Yeah. So what's really cool about that is that then we can, you know, put it on a spool, weave it, make it into a textile, and then eventually create clothing from it. And then from there, because we've designed at the fiber level, we can disintegrate it and re-loop it back into the system. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Well, that sounds like a gory process, even though there are no, I mean, I guess there's kind of animals involved. I mean, we're just taking garbage. <laughs> yeah, literal garbage. Literal garbage, like stuff that we humans can't drink. We can't even make milk, um, excuse me, cheese from it. So it's really the garbage. <laughs> and that's kind of been my process in design as always. Anyways, I have so much fun thinking about garbage and how to transform it. Well, have you already worked with the expired milk or are you still working on like the the optics or like the, the pieces of it? Like, have you actually had to touch and smell and feel expired milk yeah it's it smells disgusting and it's slimy and gross I'm gonna throw up (laughs) (laughs) but it's like yeah it's just sitting there in vats like Mm. a lot of you know the dairy industry I mean this can be a whole separate episode but oh don't you worry yeah I'm like I don't I don't don't you worry get into it but it just like I'm like wow so really these cows are like dying in vain for nothing so you know um the point for me isn't like which ways do we prioritize obviously if and if and when this system that we propose does come into fruition I don't want to create another like need for more milk you know I think for me it's Mm -hmm. always been about the system and waste is just an option you know like what how, how I envision this like whole taking waste making something else out of it and creating you know another product which can be recyclable and has quote unquote an infinite life cycle and 
within that, not just thinking about the environmental aspects, but also having a system like this in Montreal will empower the garment workers that have been here and have like, like Montreal used to be a hub for textiles. And since we've like offshored all of these things, like if you go to Chabanel, like it's quiet, you know? So, but these mostly older women have this knowledge and this skill that I think is so important and so crucial to still have. And it's like, I would love to kind of create a sort of ecosystem around that. But even thinking about all these things, you know, the most sustainable thing we can do is literally to not make anything. Yeah. Because, and you have said that we're like already overconsumption. Like, this is how much it's stuck with me is like, we're already overconsumption, which gives me more anxiety to think that like, everything that I'm using now is like, not, I'm not entitled to it you know like as like god I don't know how to say it like I'm using things that I that I'm not that I don't like deserve or like I'm I'm like sustaining myself when like other people are cannot always thinking about I see what you mean but like that's just too much weight on your shoulders because like it's the system that yeah. should be sustaining everyone. Yeah. Like I'm always thinking about how we're on stolen land, right? Like I'm always thinking about it and mm. I'm always like, hey, how come, how can you guys experience joy on this land? Like it's stolen. We stole it and we're using it. Yeah, that's, it's, it's, it's very complicated. I definitely think about that and I'm like, yes, hundred percent. I am a settler. And I think, but for me personally, I'm like, if my family wanted to stay, you know, where we've moved from in the Philippines, where the weather is fabulous, we have all the resources that we can use there. However, Spanish colonizers came there and colonized us for 500 years. So it's like, my family didn't really have a choice. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I fully recognize that. And I think it is my job to um, not only acknowledge it, but also to create something different for the future while acknowledging that. I mean, it's the only thing I can do because at the end of the day, I'm like, I don't wanna ruminate on feeling guilty. Although yes, a hundred percent, I feel guilty often, but it's like, um, excuse me, Bob, Mark, Michelle, white boys who are not feeling guilty. Like, Yeah, everybody, everybody in this pandemic, every white person that's gotten a tattoo, okay? what where's your reparations money huh in this pandemic oh my god like yeah uh, okay final thoughts what are we what is our goal for like the next episode like for my fashion journey for example oh yes and um well, and you know what's your like ultimate what how do you want to see fast fashion go in the next like 10 years the next 10 years, well, I mean, geez, there's so much, so much to be done. And I think it's, it's so complicated. Um, I think there's different ways to look at it and see the stakeholders. So starting from like, as a consumer, you have a stake in the industry. So I think the very first thing is to think about how you're consuming your clothes in terms of, do I really need it? Do I actually want it? what happens to it after I don't want it. Um, and then as a designer, creating clothes and perpetuating the system 
to continue being creative, but not just in a way of aesthetic. I think it's important to have that deeper conversation to design with empathy and think about who you're creating these calls for, not just from the perspective of the earth that we live in, but from the person who's actually going to be wearing your clothes, whether it comes from sizing, where you source your materials, who you're uh, paying on how to uh, create your clothes. And that's just from the small designers. And then you go up to a larger system where, you know, where all of these designers exchange and, and, and trade with like the producers, the manufacturers in uh, and, and, and the global South. So I think on a larger system, it's like we need policies to protect these trade routes. So, you know, and then within that, we can use technology to leverage all these systems that can go into it, like transparency, how to trace our clothing, just have more data on, for, for people to feel empowered and make better choices. So yeah, that's kind of where I want the next 10 years to head over to. But most importantly right now is let's just have these conversations. Let's just keep it real. Let's keep it real. Like stop trying to like get all these clothing to like make you feel like you're living this lifestyle when you know what? No one's really living this lifestyle. We're all literally fragile little human beings just trying to get through our emotions and yeah, and I think that's occasionally how we, wanna... we go to a party. Okay. I mean, it's important. We must. We must always. I mean, that's what I'm saying. It's like occasionally you want to turn a look. You know, we must. You know, and it's not about like banning fashion. I think that's so ridiculous. It's about being getting creative with it again. Yes, I agree. I agree. I think like there's so much creativity still that we haven't like looked into and there's so much creativity like beyond the straight size too Mm -hmm. like think of like the geometric shapes like but yeah like just think of like the sculptural element of fashion and how like our clothes could truly be art pieces if you were like not thinking just about like Whitney Port (laughs) 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 you know um but on 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 who I love I love Whitney Port by the way I love I love Whitney We'll talk more about that later. <laughs> but on your end, like how how do you want to see fashion in the next 10 years? And what are some of your personal goals? What do I want to see? I kind of want online shopping to not exist anymore as much as it's like accessible. Um, Interesting. Yeah, well, I mean, or like maybe there's like something we could do so that like, I I want like online shopping companies to be more mindful, like, you if you see like it's almost like how Facebook will be like I saw that you posted the word fascist are you okay and it's like yeah I'm just angry about fascists you know like I want like websites to check in on you basically (laughs) when you're shopping like hey I see that you put like a bathrobe and like I don't know what people do when they're sad like cry in their bathtub I mean I don't do that But I think it's interesting that you don't, you want, that you don't like online shopping because I've always felt that way. I'm like, it's so hard for, how, how can you connect with like this image on your computer? Like I need to try it on. I need to yes. touch it. Um, and it takes the, it takes the art out of it too. Yeah. In like that, in that way of like, you see a piece, it's beautiful. It has all these appliques or like it has all these things or like it, you know exactly what it would look like with like your wardrobe that you have at home and you're like I know exactly what that would go with 
like the, the hunt again the hunt the, the thrill hunt. of the hunt it's just not the same and then I want to see things become more local because I think a big part of why so many of us can't like conceptualize fast fashion is like it's all the way over there mm-hmm. you know like mm-hmm. all the stuff that's happening is over there so I'm hoping that like we'll be able to talk more about like garment workers and the actual conditions <laughs> um, in the next part. So. Absolutely. I mean, I think, yeah, it's, it's a good way to kind of look at the key players in fashion. There's us, the people that purchase the clothing, mm-hmm. there's the people that make the clothing, and then there's the planet from which we take the clothing from. Yeah. So it's like, and then there's the people selling the clothing and branding it and, so, so yeah, I look forward to the next episode where we uh, talk about one of the biggest, I think, turning point um, in thinking about a fashion revolution at, surprise, surprise, in a garment factory. And yeah, and really centering the story and just making our clothes feel more human, you know, like there's no AI that's created yet to like stitch our clothing. Mm-hmm. like literal human hands are behind a machine that's been you know the latest industrial machine I think has I actually I don't know this fact but I don't know when it was created last but it doesn't have like you still need a human to operate it mm-hmm. I guess is what I'm trying to say so like just remind people that I think you know and like you said because all of it is so like far removed from where we're consuming I think it's going to be interesting to go from like how we play a role and like how we can have that conversation through brands um, about the people making our clothes. Theme song provided by Jonathan Robinson.